Look, I'm yeah. so proud of myself. Mm-hmm. I actually hey. have my Bible and our chart and my little notebook with a pen and some other papers and my coffee jar. You have a coffee jar? Yeah, sitting at my little prayer nook. <laughs> have a prayer nook. <laughs> That's really, that's really what my craft nook is going to be, a paper-filled prayer nook. <laughs> I keep holding on to unfinished crafts. I decided to invent, invent a pattern, a crochet hook pattern, for a banana hammock for my friend's boat. Because that's something that you should definitely do and spend your time on. <laughs> oh, precious time! <laughs> a friend, a friend made this post about time, and so I've been thinking all week about how like time is actually very valuable. It's the most valuable thing. You can't it get it back. Amazing. It's always being spent. It's always going by. So hard. So while we're thinking about it, I'm just gonna say, I'm Christine, and this is Paige with me. And we're a coloring company. A lot of people might have questions about that name. It's really, it seems kind of arbitrary, doesn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> that, what does that mean? It started as something else. This was originally a, a personal blog. I was interested suddenly in color, like on my walls and in decor and things like that. Hmm. And I also was starting to realize my inhospitable spirit and started realizing I needed to have people over more. So creating a space for company, creating my home for company. When I was living in Egypt, we painted our whole house, our whole apartment blue. It was like Mm. crazy deep bluish green walls. And they were really, really loud. (laughs) And it was better than the the white. I don't know if you can see this this color yeah. that's behind yeah. me is the the color that every everything is um, when you move with right. the foreign service, <laughs> Just, or into any new apartment or whatever. It's like this. Right. Neither of them are bad, unless right. unless you have never lived in it before, yeah. and then nothing looks right. It doesn't feel homey. Right. <laughs> Let me take a few bites of food. I'm sorry, Paige. Yeah, do it. How so? In your reading of Chronicles, Paige, have you come? Yeah. Have you chart been useful actually? Yes. Oh, listen, Christine. We have to talk about whose we are, because that's what our last episode ended with. That's what I want to talk about so much, because it is a it is such a important like belief. If you don't belong to God in, in Christ, you you your life is nothing. Well, Does that make sense? I mean, like nothing, Paige. <laughs> so, nothing. listeners, I was saved, came to know Christ. I never know how to word that properly because I think I said I found was saved. Wasn't saved. <laughs> How do you, yeah, what do you, how do you usually say it? 
to people. So do you have to say <laughs> when are you in these situations? <laughs> but right now, I guess. Okay. Yes. Because I'm trying to explain to people, including my children and just anybody, when I became a Christian, I guess. But I used to say I found God. And then I got the retort, God's not lost. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, sure, but the Bible, the Bible... <laughs> The Bible uses those words sometimes, you know, in like the Psalms, it's like, I saw mm. the Lord and yeah. then I found God. Like, I yeah. don't think it's blasphemous. I mean, it doesn't Jesus himself, God. Knock, Jesus himself said, seek and you will find, right? Yeah, Didn't he? Right. I mean, sure. seek. Yes, for sure. Find. Seems okay. Like, and you found, you, your whole thing was, you were out to seek. You were seeking. Yeah, I was seeking. It was interesting. Yeah. So, listeners, I found God (laughs) as an adult. I was um, 27 years old. And you asked the question, if you don't belong to God, your life is nothing. And then you asked me if that makes sense. And I was like, well, on this side, yes. (laughs) But if you say that to an unbeliever... I mean, they're going to be like raging. That's mad. so <laughs> offensive and out outrageous, outrageous. Yeah. Like my life, I am so <laughs> full of value. How yes. dare you say I'm right. nothing? And right. it's true. Everyone is even. Okay. So I, yeah, on this side, well, right. wait, do you mean on this side of your salvation or do you mean on this yes. side of eternity? Okay. On this side of salvation, both. I would even both. say both. Yeah, oh, no. okay. On okay. this side of eternity, but like everyone's life still has value for sure. And sure, every life like, has value. Absolutely. We're yeah. We're, we're pointing out that once you believe, once you trust God, once you're saved, the fact that you are saved or whose you are becomes the most important thing and not belonging to God seems like that's just nothing. It's just worthless. Nothing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, okay. So I draw from Ecclesiastes Matt, in my personal story. I didn't become, yes. I didn't become a Christian when I was older. I lived in a Christian home and was always told about Jesus. And when I was in high school, it was the first time I was dealing with um, unbearable depression. Like I, I literally, I, I, I didn't know if I could actually physically bear <laughs> the depression I was going through. And I didn't know who to turn to. I was also in a Christian family who didn't have very solid Christian community. Uh, we lived in a rural area of Connecticut and it was um, I had fellowship at a church like a mile from my house. Fortunately, it was like a mile there. I could walk. Anyway, I didn't really understand that I could turn to someone about it, about the depression. Yeah. I thought it was shameful as a Christian to be sad and joyless and feel empty. Like I thought that was, I was, I, I was full of shame and I <laughs> cried out to God it was an amazing experience because he, I just, I knew the Bible 
would have my answer. Like I knew God's word was where I should search. And that's, that was just very clear to me early on in life. I had solid um, teaching about the Bible. And I guess, so I remember just asking God, please help me. I don't, I don't know what to do. And the first page I opened to, which isn't surprising because it's like almost right in the middle, <laughs> was Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes and the very first few lines were just like all is vanity everything is meaningless and I just started weeping because suddenly I realized if it's in the bible yeah I can't this feeling can't be wrong it must mean something and if someone in the bible had these same feelings. I'm not alone. And God directed me to this place in his work where someone was grappling with the meaninglessness of life and the futility of our work, the futility of life. And just, and just like, not everyone goes through that. I feel like some people don't have to grapple with that. And so not until their midlife crisis. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I guess that's when it happens but I always I thought everyone must feel this way and I was just a dunce or like slow or like just I thought I just couldn't handle it like I thought everyone knew that it was nothing life is nothing (laughs) we all we live we die it's over when we know whose we belong to yeah this changes it changes everything yeah yeah, I knew at that time in my life that like the only thing that mattered was was God. Like his his existence was the only thing that made my existence okay. And that yeah. like in that like I know that sounds really weird. <laughs> but like No, it doesn't sound weird because I had the same revelation much oh. more recently. Wow. Because I was going through depression too. Right. And so mm-hmm. I had that I had, I explained previously that mine was the self, self-loathing self sort of depression and not the, what's the point of everything depression. But mm-hmm. after I was saved from the self-loathing sort of scary violet part, um, mm. I did have, I did manifest as like, what is the point? <laughs> There's nothing going on here. It's just we're just going to do all this and I'm having all this anxiety and then I'm just going to die. And it's not, I don't understand the meaning. Like why, what? (laughs) And eventually my kids are going to die. Even if I'm doing it for my kids, they're going to die. Whatever I do for them, that's just going to go away and it's all just going to disappear. And I'm going to be, you know, one of the billions of people who lived their life without even being remembered or, mentioned in the bible you know i'm gonna be like, yeah. Just, like you know, yeah i had that revelation i said you know it's like the most amazing powerful perfect loving being that's ever existed created me and he created me for a purpose and just because i don't know what it mm. is doesn't mean that it's meaningless it has meaning to him. Yeah. And that's what I trust. He has, mm-hmm. he has a meaning for me in mind. And so I'm going to trust that and not be concerned with how I feel about it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Not how I feel about it, but how I like reason it out, you know, just because I can't explain why it's meaningful to him doesn't mean it's not exactly yeah it helped a lot it was i had like a whole moment in my car i like cried for a while mm. it was great car it was crying. Great. you have one of those moments when you like realize how good god is to you and all of a sudden every single thing around you is beautiful and amazing and like this great gift I was driving out in the middle of the desert in Idaho and I just saw the sky and it just was like, oh my goodness, God made all of this for mm. me. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, have those you know, I I was in Bible college with a girl who was like this, like, um, but I, at the time, I totally didn't get her. I I didn't get it at all. <laughs> the idea that like that God was romancing you with a right. sunset, and I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> so silly! This is just like more sciencey than romancey." Right. And how how cool is it that God <laughs> create like okay the fine tuned universe thing? Yeah, I'm like super excited about all of that stuff <laughs> and, so, and so I never thought about it as like a romantic thing I was thought of like very and I'm not a I'm not I'm more of a history and literature person than a science mm -hmm. and whatever person so yeah. <laughs> just it is really funny to me that I I think it's because I don't know I didn't understand how people like why people needed it to be like a a romancing kind of thing mm. wooing because that like also we are the bride of christ in a way like the whole idea yeah. of like us his desire for us is so deep and so full like right how much does it encompass uh <laughs> like everything right so you can't really leave things out of it if like he wants us entirely to himself and just thinking about the israelites and this nation he set apart and the covenants, these deep, beautiful covenants he made with Adam and then Noah and then Abraham. And so if you have to think about how the promises were preserved through these generations, Adam would have had to tell people. Adam was not around for the flood. Um, before the, well, in Noah's day, how long had Adam been off of the earth? Maybe that's my a question. About about 720 years <laughs> approximately <laughs> noah's grandfather died mm -hmm. in the flood methuselah his father lamech died mm -hmm. just before the flood okay. but his grandfather it looks like he died at the time of the flood like he might have died in the flood. He's the longest living wow. character in the Bible, Methuselah is. He lived 969 years. So then Methuselah, being so old, there's like 200 years of overlap with Methuselah and Adam. It's not it's not inconceivable that they would have had conversations. And then Methuselah, you know, is just, you know, one generation from a firsthand eyewitness account. Um, passing it on to Tara. Oh, two generations. Tara, not Tara. Lamech. 
and then Noah. But there is obviously the struggle of how to live, how to live right and be pleasing to God. Like Noah was the only righteous one in his time. It was hard to go against this new sin nature that um, entered the world. There's a struggle. <laughs> right, so people have this hope to hold on to that the sin nature struggle will end, uh, struggle with sin, and that death won't be a final dooming thing. <laughs> but uh, so the need for law and regulation enters the scene <laughs> and mercifully gives it to us so that we don't have to um, just be at the mercy of the viral nature of sin and the snowball effect that you just keep sinning and sinning and it's perpetual or it just goes on forever and you get worse and worse and it's just evident in everyone's reality. The law was given mercifully a standard that we can see and understand and not to um, save us, but to um, keep us from harm and keep us doing good. So, but until Abraham, that's the thing. What happened before? None of the generations before Abraham have any regulations, right? And Abraham receives the covenant of circumcision, which... right. It gives way to something greater for humanity to hold on to than just the snake story that one day a seed of man will crush the serpent's head right. and it will bite his heel kind of thing. Like, I feel like that was the only thing people got to hold on to from the stories that they were handed down, right? Like that, that was their hope. And that was their ability to commune with God still, was it? Was it? The only reason anybody before Abraham was able to follow God is because Adam told him about God. Even from Abraham to Moses, the people are not very many, right? It's like a small number of God's people. It's like a few thousand or something, right? I'm not sure. I think it says, but I don't know. Okay. What I noticed in the story of Moses, though, his son wasn't circumcised until he was, like, on his way to meet Aaron to to confront Pharaoh with what the Lord had said. So, like, and on the way to meet Aaron, he and his wife have this crazy fight about the circumcision. And they, like, are sent back they're sent back they don't go to pharaoh right okay so i'm talking about circumcision because then okay this sign of the promise marks the people as god's people okay and how eventually that's the that is the illustration we're given for the circumcision of the heart and that is what marks us today as belonging to god like set apart and i love Paige, I don't know if you had known the Bible verse at the time, the Bible passage, the whole concept, but I remember when you were just saved, you told me, first of all, your story was super interesting because no one like led you into, into it. Like it was you, it was just you and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. So that to me is like, I have, <laughs> 
I don't know if you know this. I've told your story to like everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, because it's encouraging to Christians to remember that we don't need to, like, it's not us doing it. It is the work of the the Holy Spirit. It's like so much pressure off of people. And I think that's a huge problem in the evangelical church right now that a lot of people are like, I don't know. So anyway, you said something really cool. You said it felt like God was chipping away at your heart. And that's like, I think it's in Ezekiel that he talks about turning the heart of stone to flesh and then the circumcision of the heart, right? That like, yeah, that that's what that kind of picture is. And that's, yeah, that's the mark (laughs) and the Holy Spirit can indwell in you when you're in that position of vulnerability, like in being humble in that way before God. I mean, that's my understanding of it. I don't want to say something. Always correct me if I say something weird. <laughs> yes. I, yep. I'm, Thank I'm, you. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Thanks for being that kind of friend. <laughs> to be like, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> So Moses demonstrates his faith with the act of circumcision still. And then we have something like 2 million people exodusing out of Egypt. So regulations are like really going to be helpful now. And probably so Moses receives God's law and gives it to the people. Joshua takes over and demonstrates his faith with circumcision as well. And they, uh, after they cross into the promised land. So it's this picture for us too of our belonging to God. Um, and how important it is to belong to God, uh, because then you have all the judges and everyone is horrible, really showing how man is not a perfect judge, but God is. And Ruth appears in this time frame, in the judges' time frame, and, with, and she's a great reminder of what security exists in belonging to, to a group, to a culture, to a, a person, and to God. So, so when you and I had talked about um Ruth when Ruth had been like when Boaz had asked his chief of the workers uh who's who does this woman belong to and we had a really great discussion about how that really was just Boaz asking hey who's taking care of this woman I mean when could I don't be go over the whole thing again it we could don't know. be Exactly. But in our line of thinking, it was at the time, if you were poor, something you could do was go into the fields and pick the remnants that were left. And that glean. was glean. Right. Exactly. Favorite word. Yeah. It's a favorite <laughs> Christian word right there. It is glean. So, the obvious status that she had it was like um she's in she's not she's a foreigner right i think it's very obvious she needs help she needs help yes boaz took an interest right away and said like he did say leave some leave some for her right right. like it was um Yeah. yeah he did take an interest right away and wanted right away to take care of her not even mentioning the possibility that they were at all kin and yeah that there were measures he could take outside of there was this. nothing was the there promise. was nothing like 
romantic or he didn't seem to want to respond with like i need to marry this woman you know or like any anything like that yeah so that's why it didn't seem like who does this woman belong to didn't mean some sort of like misogynistic patriarchal thing it just was like this woman needs a caretaker who's that you know (laughs) <laughs> and then, and so the, because we had had that conversation, it stuck out to me in first Samuel here. Let me look up the verse. Cause I'm not prepared for this at all. <laughs> that's okay. I think that's endearing about our podcast listeners. I want you to tell us if it's endearing that we don't know what we're doing and we have just <laughs> literally having Bible study with you during the podcast. Is that endearing, or do you want us to actually have? Do you want us to be more prepared or do you like us to fumble through the Bible with you? Because the truth is, I don't know if we could deliver on that. <laughs> We're both moms. We're Maybe both in marriages. Different podcast if, you, if that's what you're looking for. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 13 through 15. Okay, so David. Oh, I need more context. A band of Amalekites, I believe, have just, is it Amalekites that have attacked David's wife and wives, I think, actually. Oh, okay, here it is. This Egyptian slave of the Amalekites was with their band of um, uh, looters, invaders. Two wives of David had been captured in verses, Mm -hmm. um, let's do three through Oh my goodness, if it starts in verse 3, let me do, okay, so it's 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, David and his men reached Ziklag, where they were staying, I'm adding that in, where they were staying, on the third day, okay, so just background, they had like, they were camping out there, David's already like in in Saul's, um, not in Saul's good graces, right, being pursued by Saul, he's camping out at Ziklag with like 600 rabble rousers scoundrel people <laughs> and their families kind of thing like they're uh the riffraff warriors who don't particularly care for Saul verse 11 verse 11 yeah right they found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David they gave him water to drink and food to eat and part of a cake pressed with figs and two cakes of raisins and he ate and was revived for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights i know i know Paige's face is just like the anytime you see three days and three nights in the bible <laughs> which is surprised me <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> um anyway so we can explore that later i guess yeah that's fun but keep going <laughs> david asked him the egyptian david asked him who do you belong to where do you come from? Okay. <laughs> and so, but his answer is just, I'm an Egyptian, oh. slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. Oh. He raided the Negev of the Keresites, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. <laughs> David asked him. So they found the, a man who was in this oh. party crazy right David asked him can you lead me down to this raiding party and he answered 
swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. So can you imagine? I can't imagine being this Egyptian slave right now. No, in like for real. No. Crazy position. Okay. Right. He led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. Verse 17, David fought them from dusk until the evening the next day, and none of them got away, except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. (laughs) (laughs) Like a lot of them actually got away. (laughs) So (laughs) none of them got away except this giant band of them. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Which is how many... Which is how many in David's army there are. That's true. Yeah. There were 200 stayed back and 400 went. So that's so crazy. Um, So David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including two wives. Whatever the 400 guys took with them. Oh, do you think they did? No, it says everything. (laughs) Except those camels. (laughs) Definitely. They took 400. What I'm learning about is that the Bible uses, especially in this part of the Bible, the Bible uses a lot of um <laughs> all oh in gosh, What what is Bro- the what is the exaggeration? There's a lot of exaggeration. See, now that's a huge so. that's a huge thing. People would combat you about that. They'd be like, I know. <laughs> Every oh, word. I'm sorry. It it's just be. a literary device. It's all right. Um, David brought, wait, no, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. I think that's the, that's the thing that's that's really important. He rescued his two wives. wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Wow. No. Okay. Paige, verse 19 is really combating you. Verse 19 (laughs) is like, no, Paige, (laughs) nothing (laughs) missing. Young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they take it. David brought everything back. <laughs> so I mean like, that's all it's doing is is confirming what God said would happen. Right. He will surely rescue all. Yeah. So it's just saying he did, didn't he? was right. So God was right. That's the point. That is the, the point. God was right. And he took all the flocks and herds. And his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Interesting. <laughs> so I think that's I think that's it. Oh, no, there is actually an interesting bit about the 200 men. Mm. Um, David's fairness toward them. Like, they also get to partake in the plunder. And yeah. the 400 guys are, like, mad about it. And he's, like, just, like, it's it, it's very similar to the way Jesus uh, gave the parable about the workers, right, in the field, that, like, right. the vineyard owner gave even the ones who came at the 11th hour the same amount that came at the morning. And it was like, what? That's not fair. Right. <laughs> but David, oh, this example of fairness is here even in David's, uh, and I could be wrong, equating those two. Uh, that is what comes to mind, and I think that's anytime... I feel like a lot of people struggle with studying the Bible because they don't recall other parts of the Bible. 
And that mm -hmm. might be because you don't read the Bible that often, because that's how it was for me. Right. And you forget, right? Like yeah. <laughs> for anyone who's listening who feels discouraged that they don't remember passages of the Bible, no one can. <laughs> like that's not <laughs> the Bible is so big. You yeah. if you're not reading it constantly, you're not gonna right. remember. And that's also that's not like something to it's be ashamed okay. of. Yeah. It's, it's totally something funny. to actually admit to people around you because then they could tell you, like, oh, well, it actually reminds me of this. And then you just help each other. It's like, yeah, all proclaim God's word. And especially, yeah. I don't know, like, it reminds me of the time we were in that Bible study in Texas that um, you didn't know what happened to doubting Thomas and why he was yeah. called doubting Thomas. But right. I, like, I think it was me that I had made this sweeping statement they're like oh but we all know what happened to him <laughs> <laughs> and you were like what i don't know anything what hi nope i'm new here i don't like, know the things whatever yeah, you guys know i don't know that <laughs> no one should be embarrassed for not knowing part of the bible or not recalling it immediately it's so big just say hey i don't know what tell me that part and then yeah everyone's edified everyone is edified especially the person telling you that part like right Oh, just to encourage people who feel embarrassed that they don't know the Bible. I don't know. Yeah. That's... Plus, isn't the best part of reading the Bible when you make new discoveries? Isn't that the most fun? Just go <laughs> for it. Make all the fun discoveries that you think everybody else has already made. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Someone listening to this is probably like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new. I know this story real well. <laughs> So listen, Christine, I have to point out, because obviously, mm -hmm. David said, to whom do you belong? I know, that's the that's the thing. That's It stuck out to me because we had just spent time talking about that. Maybe not on, I don't think the, I don't think we recorded that on the podcast. Maybe we did. No, we did. We talked about who do you belong to and how, yeah. yeah. And so it stuck out to me. It was like, whoa, he asked the same question. Because it's a poor man found starving. And then they find out who yeah. he belongs to. And they're like, right. where are they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so his master, you know, his master, he's his answer. He talks about his master. And I'm just like, yeah. So not only do we have this, um, you know, who, whoever it is that you belong to takes care of you, but they're also your master. And so I can't help but think like, mm. I belong to Jesus. He takes care of me yes. and he's oh, my yes. master. Oh, <laughs> and a good master that we want to go to. Not like this master. We've to this place in society where we're not allowed to belong to somebody. Maybe no. your parents as a child, but that's it. And yeah, that's acceptable still. That's another that's, one. Well, that's another one. God is also being... my father, and he <sighs> takes care of me and directs my days. It's just so beautiful when you continue to think about it. This thing that people use as a weapon. <laughs> this thing yeah. that people yeah. are so angry about that you could possibly belong to somebody. And it's like, no, I'm my own person. And it's like... Mm -hmm. that's sad I'm very sorry that you're your own person you don't have anybody yeah. that loves you and cares for you because nobody can take mm -hmm. care of, of themselves all the time 
and nobody, nobody can love them enough themselves enough all the time yeah you're always going to need someone to take care of you a master a parent and luckily we don't have to rely on humans who whose heart is inclined towards evil continually all the time forever right. yeah and who are mortal mm. and who die and make mistakes instead yeah. we have a perfect father and caretaker in heaven yeah yeah <sighs> and that's what we wanted to talk about today <laughs> <laughs> So if anyone out there has anything to say to us, <laughs> yeah, you can definitely comment and we would love to hear your thoughts too. Um, because yeah. we can encourage each other. We're yeah. all vital. All of us. Right. It's amazing. Yep. And um, we hope that you have a local body to encourage you as well and that you can be a part of Encourage because they need you. They do. And also you can email us any thoughts or um, anything. Questions. questions. Rebuke. Oh, sure. Rebuke. Yes. Admonishment. Corrections. Yeah. Definitely. We try really hard to be like the the wise and not the fool and welcome corrections. So our email is colorandcompanyblog at gmail.com. Okay. Okay. We love you. Bye. <laughs> I love you, Christine. And oh, I love, I love you, you too. <laughs>